Hello and welcome once again to What's Out There, the paranormal podcast on the Out There Paranormal Group. And chatting for you tonight, we have myself, Nigel. And myself, Juliet. Hello, everyone. Here we are again. And here we are again, happy as can be. All good friends and jolly good company. I have absolutely no idea where that came from. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> it just kind of popped right in there like Mr. Staple. Oh, my days. You know it's going to be one of those random events, don't you? I when we start off it. like this. It just popped in there. You just, oh, honestly, Jules. <laughs> don't do this to me. <laughs> So, come on, let's get back to it. I'm now going to try and get this back on track. Do you know what? I've had this weird idea. Uh-oh. I know. It's my turn for weird ideas because we had your fishy tails last time. It's usually Fish fingers and fishy fingers and, and the Loch Ness Monster as a ghost and all the other weird stuff that you come I up with. But know. I've decided that I want to look at some stories, some local stories. Um, I got this weird idea. I was thinking back to the days when I used to go to work and we used to go to these training courses and team meetings and I used to run these bloody icebreaker things oh gosh i remember those you know where you sort of sit there and they come up with some really sort of stupid random thing that you have oh, to do the uh, corporate icebreakers indeed indeed the mm. one i like the best is the one where they go tell us three things about yourself two of which are true mm-hmm. and one of which is false okay that sounds like fun okay so what i've decided to do this time i've got three stories that we can tell okay two of them are based on facts okay or factual events, mm-hmm. and one of them is a folklore tale. So are we going to ask people to guess which are true and which are not? Exactly. It's Yay! going to be a case of fact or folklore. Yay! So it there sounds we like go. fun. But I think to actually get into this icebreaker yeah. thing, Uh-oh. we should actually do what? the same thing about ourselves. Oh, so. no. <laughs> Really? Yeah, because uh, we're, well, we're at the team meeting. <clears throat> we've all got to take part in the icebreaker. So oh, the stories are part okay. of the icebreaker. Now we've got to come up with three things about ourselves, two of which are true, okay, and one of which is false. I've got to think about this. You're going to have to put this recording on pause because I'm going to have to get my little brain to have a little think. Okay, well, I can do mine. Okay. And then we'll let you have a bit of a think. Okay. And then we'll see what we can come up with. Alrighty then. Okay, so here we go. Three facts about Nige, two of which are true, one of which is false. So here we go. Here and we go. you have to Drum guess roll. which one is which. Here we go. Number one. Number one. Okay. I just happen to have bronze medals for Latin American and ballroom dancing. Okay. Ooh. So there's number one. Get you and your mama too. I know. Number two. I was such an excellent swimmer at school. I actually tried out for the England Olympic team. There's another one about me. Blimey. And the last one I have is... I've won prizes for my privates. (laughs) That wouldn't surprise me. Not that I know what your privates look like. I just want to point that out to all the (laughs) listeners before anybody says anything. I had to throw something dirty in, didn't I? I'm actually talking about um, the miniature figures that I paint. So I've actually won prizes for the figures that I paint. I'm glad you explained that one. There we go. So that's my three. So all you've got to think about is, okay, which of those are true? I might have given the game away one of them. And which ones are not? 
Okay. And there we go. Okay, so... Oh, heck, it's my turn. It is indeed, so... Okay, pause it now because Juliet's got to have a little think with her pea brain. Okay, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we apologise for the delay. Our transmission will begin again very soon. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Over to you, Juliet. Yeah, I've finally had the opportunity to give it a little thought. And I've had some, um, shall we say, some rather interesting experiences in, <laughs> just, just in my strange little world that is mine. Oh, God, mine. It's, Charlie, it's Charlie picked sort of three out of that, isn't it, really? It, it was really a is. Thing. It really is. Okay, so here are my three. Number one is the fact that I had my first flying lesson. Um, I had dreams of being Top Gun. We've all seen the movie. And I decided I was going to get my pilot's license. And on my first flying lesson, I accidentally grabbed the pilot's testicles by mistake. <laughs> That's number one. Um, <laughs> number two is I'm a trained belly dancer. And number three is I used to be a hand model for a, a famous cosmetics company. Those so are my three. There we go. So you've got our three. My wonderful okay. three. Well, there we go. <laughs> Honestly, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, was this really such a good idea? I know, right? <laughs> well, you made me do it. You I know. I'm really sorry. It. I know. Okay. But anyway, so there's our icebreakers. Mm. So we'll leave you to ponder on those. And we'll go across and now go into our storytelling side of things. So... What I've picked on is three, dare I say, rather gruesome tales. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've got to warn you in advance, okay. Um, the tales we're about to tell you are somewhat gruesome in nature. So if you do not relish listening to blood-gushing murders, savage, savage beatings, beatings and executions. I know. Oh, come on, you've got to listen to these. Then I fear this may not be an episode for you. They're all still here, though. Still here. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you so much for staying to listen. <clears throat> so without any further ado, let's begin our first tale. Nigel, it's time for the creepy music to begin. Let's go. Okay. Akel, a quaint Norfolk village that was once busy with holiday traffic heading to the seaside delights of Great Yarmouth, now bypassed, quietly sitting there, minding its own business. Back in the day, however, it was a bustling place with its own large livestock market. Various traders frequented this market. One such individual was a local corn and meal chandler called Josiah Burge. Now, to say he was disliked would be an understatement. Burge was a bullying crook, feared by the locals. A disgusting individual, so it is said, never washed, ate his food with his hands, never with a knife and fork, and wore his disgusting, filthy clothes until they hung in rags about him. 
a drunken beast of a man who starved his children and beat his wife. It was one such brutal beating that was a lead to his demise. On this particular occasion, he had beaten his wife so savagely that her screams had brought half the village to Burge's house. Seeing the gathering crowd, Burge rushed outside and urged the crowd to call, call the, the doctor. doctor. As his wife was sick, the crowd dispersed and the doctor was duly summoned. The poor woman lingered on for a week before dying. Now, the whispers began, and given his violent track record with his family and business relationships, he was quickly arrested and sent to Norwich to await trial. Just before the trial, Burge had managed to bribe the local doctor, who now claimed Burge's wife had died of a heart attack. Accordingly, Josiah Burge was considered innocent of murder and subsequently released. Now it just so happens that Burge's wife had a brother who was outraged with the release. He decided to meet out justice for his poor dead sister himself. On the 7th of April, he heads over to Acle to sort Burge out. Burge was not at home, but after asking around, he managed to find out that Burge was due to return from a business trip to Great Yarmouth that evening. Knowing that to get home, Burge would have to go over the Acle Bridge. The brother lay in wait on the bridge, armed with a large butcher's knife. It wasn't too long before Burge appeared, and as he walked across the bridge, the brother of his dead wife leapt up and wrestled him to the ground. He then took out the huge butcher's knife from his pocket and cut Burge's throat from ear to ear. Blood gushed out, spraying the brother and the stonework of the bridge before finally coming to rest in a pool around Burge's body. Just for good measure, the brother repeatedly stabbed Burge as he lay there dying on the ground. Leaving the bloody remains on the bridge, the brother made haste to Great Yarmouth whereupon he joined the crew of a ship and made his escape by sailing away from England. The next morning, the body is discovered and the constable is called. A local man named Jack Ketch is arrested. He had been previously cheated in a business deal with Burge and it was widely known that he said he was going to one day get his revenge. This was evidence enough for him to be accused of carrying out the murder and he was tried and convicted of the murder and Julie hanged by the neck until he was dead. Some years later, the brother returned to England and pretended surprise upon hearing of his brother-in-law's death. As the anniversary of Josiah Burge's death approached, the brother had a strange desire to visit the bridge in Acle, the scene of the ghastly murder. So this was how he found himself on the bridge on the very night where years earlier he had sliced open Burgess' throat and stabbed him in a frenzy. As he peered over the side of the bridge into the murky waters below, completely lost in his thoughts, a shadowy figure began to form out of nowhere. A dark figure made more of mist and marsh fog than flesh and bones, it slowly drifted its way towards him. The next morning, the townsfolk found the brother's body dangling over the side of the bridge with a rope around what remained of his neck, which had been slashed from ear to ear as if by a large butcher's knife. Blood was once again splashed on the stonework of the bridge. 
No one knew what happened that night. That was until witnesses began to see the terrible crime reenacted by ghostly spectres before them on the bridge, complete with a pool of blood. Of course, stories began to be told. Some say the shadowy spectre was that of Josiah Burge. Others that it belonged to Jack Ketch, the innocent man who had been hanged for Burge's murder. No one knows for sure, however. The spectres no longer appear, but you may find the pooling blood of one of the two murdered men here on the anniversary each year. So if you find yourself on or around Acle Bridge on the 7th of April, keep your wits about you and have a care where you tread. And for those of you passing underneath the bridge on your way to the broads, the drip, drip, drip you hear may not be rainwater on the roof of your boat. Our next tale takes us to Backton Woods, an ancient woodland location dating back to the time of the Saxons. On a beautiful sunny day, it's a lovely place to come to for a relaxing woodland stroll. But remember, trees can harbour dark secrets. And here at Backton, there is one place that has a rather gruesome story to tell. It's called Gibbet Peace, and here begins our second tale. The year is 1797, so allow me to introduce you to William Suffolk. He's 46 years old, a local man, born and bred in Swayfield, just a few miles away from Backton Woods. Now he lived there on a small holding with his wife, four children and his widowed father. Now next door to the Suffolk family lives one Mary Beck and her brother. Younger than Will and rather attractive, she catches his eye and they start a secret love affair. Their illicit relationship stays hidden until Mary falls pregnant and when she can no longer hide this fact they run away to the grass counties and have the child in secret. Now here is where our tale takes a rather sinister twist. Neither Mary or Will want the poor child, so they murder the baby and they hide the body. They eventually return to their former homes in Swayfield. Now it's not recorded what tall tales they told to cover up their liaison but Will Suffolk returned to his wife and children and his life resumed just as before. Living so close to each other, it was not long before things began to happen again and they could not resist a final fling together. After being chastised by her brother, Mary decided enough was enough and she wanted no more of this affair. So, the next day, the 3rd of February, Mary's brother, disapproving of Suffolk's continued attentions to his sister, asked him to cease the visits. A violent quarrel followed during which Suffolk declared that the brother would see a great altercation by nightfall. 
Later the same day, Will Suffolk caught up with Mary as she returned home after selling three bushels of wheat at the market. Suffolk declared that the profits were his. Mary, however, refused to hand over the money, saying that it belonged to her brother. The argument rolled back and forth, back and forth, and suddenly Suffolk made advances towards Mary and she quickly rebuffed him. He demanded to know why she had yielded to him the night before, but would not do so now. Mary replied that it was a mistake and she wanted no more of the affair and she never wanted to see him ever again. Now this proved to be too much for Will Suffolk and he flew into a violent rage. Raising the cudgel he held in his hand, he struck Mary a mighty blow, which knocked her to the ground. Just for good measure, Will struck her again. Three more blows rained down as poor Mary lay helpless on the ground. Suffolk, realising what he had done, dragged poor Mary's now lifeless body across to the cart track and laying her head in one of the wheel nuts, he then stamped it into a bloody pulp in a somewhat crude attempt to hide his crime and make it seem that a tragic accident had occurred. Will Suffolk began to make his way back home, passing a group of locals who spotted the blood splattered all over his body. They challenged him to explain why he appeared so. Still in an incandescent rage, Suffolk shouted replies made absolutely no sense. And in the meantime, a cry arose. She's over there! And the battered body of Mary had been found. The locals hearing the commotion grabbed hold of Will Suffolk, realising somehow that he must have been involved. The parish constable was summoned and Will Suffolk found himself arrested. William Suffolk was questioned by the local justice and he confessed to the murder of poor Mary and the baby. To make matters even worse, he told the justice, had he not been detained, there would have been two more murders done. That of his wife and Mary Beck's brother. William Suffolk went on trial for murder at the local assizes. He was found guilty and was sentenced to hang by the neck until he was dead. On the 21st of March, a large crowd gathered around Castle Hill in Norwich. William Suffolk was led to the gallows and the death sentence was duly carried out. He became somewhat of a local celebrity. His whole sordid tale, recorded on broadsheets and sold for a penny, Ballads were sung and his deeds even got mentioned in local church sermons, a warning to others of what illicit passions could drive a person to do. Now being hanged was not the end for poor William Suffolk, oh no. 
His body was cut down, parboiled and coated in tar. Taken to near the scene of his crime, the body was placed in a gibbet and left to hang as a grim warning to others. His remains stayed there swinging in the breeze and many people came to see this notorious criminal. Some of them even removed body parts to keep as souvenirs. Finally, in June 1803, six years after it was left there, the unsightly and somewhat grisly remains were taken down and buried nearby, without any ceremony or grave marker. Back to the modern day, and the site has become a rather eerie place. There's still air, sometimes disturbed by low and tragic moans, and the rusty screech of the gibbet as it swings from side to side. Walkers have experienced a strange and uneasy feeling when they're in the woods, and dog owners have found their animals begin to behave very strangely and they refuse to enter this part of the woods. So I'm going to end this tale with one last thing. In the 1980s some children were playing near to the gibbet piece. They spotted what appeared to be a moss-covered skeleton lying there in the grass. The children ran back and persuaded their parents to come and see what they had found. Upon returning to the site, they discovered that the skeleton had completely disappeared. Could this have been William Suffolk's restless spirit showing them where his mortal remains were buried in the hope that he would get a decent burial and his spirit could rest? We've told a tale each, but I think, Jules, we should share this last one. Yeah. Okay, so we'll okay. tell it we'll tell it in little bits because we've heard from a couple of guys yeah. really unpleasant individuals. Indeed, yes. But this time round We've got a lady. Okay. Oh, indeed. So, yes. And where's it based? It's actually based, believe it or not, in Attleborough. Where I live. Exactly, which oh. is why I thought it was actually a perfect story for you. Okay. Because it's a local one to where you come from. Let's do this thing. Well, let's go. Okay, so the last tale in our triptych takes us to South Norfolk and the market town of Attleborough. It's mid-morning on Saturday the 18th of July, 1807, and in the White Horse pub on London Road, Samuel Alden is standing near the bar with a pint of ale clutched in his hand. It's certainly not his first drink of the day, and it's certainly not going to be his last. Samuel, you see, likes a drink. Standing next to him is his wife Martha, lost in her own thoughts. They are joined by their neighbour, Edward Draper, and Martha uses his appearance to make her excuses and leave. I have to get home to my son, she explains, and hurries out of the door. The two men move to the table and for a while they chat and drink until just after midday when they get up to leave. 
Edward Draper is quite sober, only having a couple of drinks, but Samuel Alden is a little worse for wear. It's quite obvious that his drinking bout had started a lot earlier in the day. Draper walks with Samuel back to his house and then meet back up with Martha. This would be the last time that Edward Draper would see Samuel Alden alive. The following day, as the evening drew in, Mary Orvis, a friend of Martha Alden, was surprised to find a rather agitated Martha on the doorstep of her cottage, asking Mary to return with her to the cottage. Now, Martha gave no explanation until they had returned to her cottage, and then once inside, with the door closed, she told Mary that she had killed her husband and took Mary into the bedroom where Samuel Alden lay on the bed, his body covered in blood and his face a frightful mess with his head almost completely severed. Mary saw the murder weapon laying on the floor nearby, a bill hook still covered in bloody gore. Martha produced a sack and then asked Mary to help her put her husband's body into it. Samuel Alden was a small man and quite lightweight, so between them they dragged the body out of the house and crossing the road, they dumped the sack into a ditch and covered it in mould. On the Monday, Mary was once again at Martha's house. She watched as Martha removed the sack containing the body from the ditch and dragged it to a water-filled pit on the common. Once there, Martha emptied the body out of the sack into the pit and gathering up the now empty sack, they left the common. Martha repeatedly bade Mary to be sure not to say a word about the matter, for if she did, she would certainly be hanged. However, such was Mary's confused state upon having helped her friend that she mentioned the story to her father that same evening after returning home. Of course, he duly reported the incident and the following morning, Edward Rush, the local constable, arrived to search Martha's house. He found the billhook, still stained with blood, although it looked like an attempt to clean it had been made. Martha was duly arrested and her trial commenced on the 27th of July at the Norfolk Assizes. Martha tried in vain to explain the events leading up to the murder, but her convoluted story did not help her cause. Unfortunately, Martha had tried to cover up the murder and a number of witnesses came forwards to help unravel the sorry tale. Her fate was sealed and upon being found guilty by the jury, the judge passed the awful sentence. They should be drawn on a hurdle to the place of execution, there to be hanged by the neck until she was dead and her body afterwards to be dissected. Martha eventually confessed to the murder, saying how her husband had continued to drink upon returning home, and when asked to stop, he flew into a rage. Fearing for her life, Martha grabbed the billhook and proceeded to hit her husband until he collapsed on the bed. On Friday the 31st of July at 12 o'clock, her sentence was duly carried out in front 
of a large crowd. Back in Attleborough, a mob formed, showing their disgust at the crime. They completely destroyed Martha's cottage, leaving no trace behind. Martha's tale does not end here. After the execution, stories soon began that the ghost of Martha Alden walked on Castle Hill in Norwich. And in December, a group of drunken men were seized by the jailer and detained in the prison for two days after being found on Castle Hill, trying to lay her spirit to rest. Now in 1820, she was actually seen inside the castle itself, frightening several prisoners after death. These stories continue until today, where a forlorn figure of a woman has been seen drifting through the castle grounds and through the art galleries, where it stops to look at the paintings before completely disappearing. So, could it be poor Martha Alden, with no home to go back to, doomed to drift the last place she remembers before she died? There you go, Jules. Three really quite fascinating stories. But have you noticed every single one was hanged by the neck until you are dead? There's an awful lot of that, isn't there? Yeah, Mind you, I feel era. poor Mary Alden. I mean, her body handed over to the, mm. the dissectionist, the, the surgeons, to just take it to pieces. Brutal, isn't it? And then, yeah, Suffolk gets stuck in a gibbet and left there. I mean, it is... Well, at least they don't get attacked by grave robbers because... In our area, there was a huge, particularly actually in Great Yarmouth. There big was indeed. There was a big robbing. problem with grave robbing there. And that is actually another one that we're going to talk on at some mm. stage because I know a very good expert mm -hmm. who knows an awful lot about grave robbers. Mm -hmm. And she can tell us all about a certain Mr. Vaughan mm -hmm. and his trips around the uh, graveyards at Great Yarmouth mm -hmm. uh, stealing bodies for the surgeons to dissect. And there was a lot of that that went on. There certainly was. There wasn't enough criminals to go around. That's Indeed. the thing. So when you get the classic then, you go to, we were going right off tangent as usual, but you're looking at Burke and Hare in, Ed in Edinburgh where they actually ended up murdering people to supply the bodies. So, Brutal, isn't uh, it? Indeed, it's it certainly is. The thing that gets me the most about these um, three stories is they all leave something behind. Mm -hmm. What, like you're talking about residual energy? Right? Exactly. There's yeah. some. There's always some kind of spirit left there. But if if you think about it in a way, because this is one of my things, old buildings are made of wattle and daub mm. and. We were talking about this earlier, weren't we? When we, we were. We were out eating, yeah. Out eating at the curry house. And you've got a lot of organic elements, haven't you, in old properties and old yeah. buildings and things like that. And it makes me wonder whether past events can be retained in cell memory because there is some research to suggest that is a possibility. There is indeed, yeah. So I mean, it's another why. sort of continuation of things like uh, the stone tape theory yes. and the... Uh, 
retention of memory by water theories. Exactly. Another one we're going to have to talk about in a podcast oh, because this exciting so stuff, isn't it? fascinating. We've got loads of things. We've been pouring over these. We've sat in the curry house tonight and waiting for our food to turn up. It took a little while. Oh, it was slow, wasn't it? <laughs> Very slow. Nice food, but jolly slow. Absolutely gorgeous food. But then while we're sort of waiting for it to come through, we're discussing like yeah. various different topics and we've got like, lots of things planned for you. Yeah, Lots of things we're going to talk to. But I, I love these sort of folklore towns where they leave something behind, mm. you know, where there is always going to be that restless spirit that can't settle because, like in Martha Alden, Alden's case, her home has gone and that's the last place she remembers. Or Port Will Suffolk because that's where his body ended up. Or um, Josiah Burge and Jack Ketch, you know, we Grizzly End they met on Acle Bridge. There's so many of these stories where there is something left behind and I just find them completely fascinating. It does seem to happen as well a lot of the time when souls aren't at rest before they die. Yeah. You will often get, and this is based on my experience as a psychic, you will get souls almost trapped, um, you know, if, if there's a sudden death. I mean, this is common knowledge, you know, you've probably heard about this a lot, but if there's a sudden death or if you know they weren't ready to die or they've got unfinished business which yeah. is a classic cliche yes they do get stuck yeah. um and it's almost like they're in limbo and you know you quite often get cases where you know it's not simply residual but you know they they actually wander around looking at people and interacting and which is interaction as well that yeah. is the interesting part the residual is is interesting don't get me wrong but it's the intelligent interactions that fascinate me between the paranormal and the living yeah it really does fascinate me yeah indeed so three lovely gruesome towels three yeah marvelous facts about ourselves yeah so which ones yeah which so... ones are the truth and there's one fib so um mm. let's tell them shall we jules no let's not tell them no. shall we jules i want you guys to guess we want you to actually think about what yeah. we just said so think about my three facts and my weird facts as and well and then think about the three <laughs> stories that we told you so think about which one of our facts is a fib and which one of our stories is folklore yeah okay mm. and we'll leave you with that one Something yeah. to ponder on. That's it. And let us know through social media what you think. We are everywhere. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram, Out There Paranormal. So, yes, feed us back with what you think and let us know. Indeed. And we look forward to hearing from you all. And we will actually spill the beans we will. in our next podcast as well. We'll fess just up. To tell you. Exactly. But we'd like <laughs> to see what you guys think first. Yeah. And that's it. Another one done and dusted and in the can. Um, Another thing is, if you've got any interesting facts about yourself, do please share them too. Exactly. We love an interesting well, story. Interesting stories. Let yep. us know. Let us know. Pass it on. And you know, we may well cover them in one of our podcasts. That's right. And we what? might even interview you, so be warned. Yeah. Come on. Let us talk to you. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, possibly. You're going to torture people? <laughs> Oh, he's off again. He's off again. It's the excitement of thinking of torturing someone. I always do it, don't I? Good Lord. I always do it. I get carried away, overexcited, and my brain just goes, and then my mouth opens and the rubbish falls out. You should never let me ad-lib because 
I just talk rubbish. All Strange the time. things happen. So, without a further ado, we are going to disappear. So, it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. So, good night, folks. Keep safe, sleep tight, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Good night.